The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to The Athletic Football Podcast, where every Wednesday we pick out one article from all the brilliant writing available on The Athletic and put the authors under the spotlight. Irving, step back, a three! Kyrie Irving with his own version of the electric slide. It's obviously annoying that I've, that I've caught it twice, but I, I haven't been vaccinated. Vaccinated or unvaccinated? We can't have a discussion as to why we want to be vaccinated or why we don't want to be vaccinated. It's just you're that side, we're this side. Today our focus is on a bumper piece contributed to by athletic journalists on both sides of the Atlantic. It's called Sport and the Global Vaccine Fight. Taz Mellis, host of our NBA podcast No Dunks and the Athletics Adam Crafton will join us shortly to discuss the mixed figures in the US and the UK, dressing room conspiracies and the weird secrecy around football and the COVID-19 vaccine. We're also going to hear from the last person I want to hear from after Villa's weekend collapse. It's Tim Spears on how Wolves have managed to book the trend when it comes to the vaccine uptake from Premier League footballers. Obviously going to be great speaking to Taz as well. He's going to break down the big story we've all been hearing about with NBA star Kyrie Irving, who is unvaccinated and unable to play. Right then, Flo, let's bring on this week's guests. A big welcome to Taz Melas, host of the No Dunks podcast, one of the original basketball podcasts. And we're also joined by Adam Crafton, who is a reporter for The Athletic as well. Welcome, guys. A pleasure to have you on. Let's start then, Taz, with, with you. The NBA. Now, for people who don't know much about Kyrie Irving, I, I like my NBA. He's a big, big deal and there's a big story going on with him at the moment to do with vaccinations and COVID in the NBA world. Can you just go a little bit into detail about the article that you did on him for The Athletic? Well, he is a big deal. Yeah, he's been a divisive figure in the NBA for several years now. Um, He's an outspoken guy and uh, he made his way out of Cleveland after winning a championship there uh, with LeBron James. And he didn't want to be sort of in the shadows of LeBron. He didn't appreciate the way he was treated there. He moved on uh, from from that run to go and play with the Boston Celtics. Uh, he did seem like he was going to stay there for a long period of time, but then told the uh, the Celtics fans, although he wanted to be there long term, he decided to bounce to the Brooklyn Nets. And now he's with uh, Kevin Durant. And the last uh, year or so, he's kind of been in... Um, and in, in the good and the bad books with NBA fans because he's said uh, beginning of last year, I'm not going to talk to the media, just not going to do it. He released this Instagram post where he said uh, the media is our, our pawns. I mean, he, he didn't do it directly, kind of did it indirectly and then came back and said, listen, I wasn't calling you guys pawns. In the end, he came back and talked to the media. And now uh, there's this scenario where he is in a very, very unique situation because of local mandates in the NBA. It has nothing to do with the actual NBA itself, but local cities, local mandates in New York, in Los Angeles and San Francisco mandated, if you're going to play on a team, if you're going to be in a gym, then you've got to be vaccinated. And four of the five teams, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Knicks, the Warriors, now that Andrew Wiggins is uh, vaccinated have got all their players vaccinated, but the one player from all those local mandates that hasn't been 
vaccinated is Kyrie Irving. People saying all these things about what's going on with me, and it's just not true. Pay attention to what's going on out in the real world. You know, people are losing their jobs to these mandates. Uh, people are having to make choices with their own lives, which I respect. You know, and and I don't want to sit here and and play on people's emotions either. Just use logic. You know, what would you do? You know, if if you felt uncomfortable going into the season uh, when you were promised that you would have exemptions or that you didn't have to be forced to get the vaccine, like why are you putting it on me? You know, like this this is not part of uh, <laughs> you know what's going on in conversations with scientists, physicians, and doctors. I'm I'm just a hooper, right? Like I'm I'm just a person. Uh, who, who's being utilized as, as an example. For some odd reason, you know, people love to have my name in the mix of just some BS. Uh, Kyrie Irving could play on the road. He could go play, uh, because of the, the, the way the, the U.S. rules are, he could go play 41 games on the road and be totally fine. But at home, when he's playing in New York, when he's playing in Brooklyn, he's not allowed to play. So there was a little bit of... Uh, sort of an, an ambiguous thing going on at the beginning when the, the mandates came down. Steve Nash said, well, we know that Kyrie's you know, not going to be with us at home, but he could be on the road uh, playing with us as sort of a part-time player. Uh, but then the next day it was squashed by uh, the Brooklyn Nets GM, Sean Marks, and Joe Sy ended up uh, speaking on it, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, and they said, listen, you can't be a part-time player. And so now Kyrie Irving is is basically one of one in the NBA, a guy who is unvaccinated and can't play for his own team. Now, there are other players who are unvaccinated. By my math, there's approximately 20 players of the 500 or so uh, full-time and part-time players that are unvaccinated, and they're up to 96% in the NBA. Uh, but Kyrie Irving is in a unique situation where unless he gets vaccinated, he won't be playing at all, while guys like Bradley Beal and Michael Porter Jr., teams that don't have local mandates can go play anywhere, can go play in Brooklyn, uh, can go play in New York, can go play in Golden State just because of their unique scenarios. Uh, that's uh, that's just how, how we work here in the U.S. There's a local mandate here, local mandate there, local mandate there. And uh, Kyrie Irving, again, he's a one of one. He has left it open. He hasn't said that he is not going to get vaccinated. Um, but uh, as uh, Sham Sharanya on, on The Athletic reported, uh, Kyrie Irving has has said his main issue is that mandates have caused people to lose their jobs. And so he's he's backing those people. He's backing the people that didn't want to get vaccinated and were mandated to and walked away from their occupations because of that. And currently, that's what Kyrie Irving is doing as well. He's saying he doesn't want to play. Well, he doesn't want to get vaccinated. I shouldn't say he doesn't want to play because if the Nets gave him the option to play on the road, I think he would. He gets paid for his road games, even though he's not playing. He gets paid for his road games because there are no mandates there, but he doesn't get paid for his home games. So he's essentially getting paid 50% of his salary uh, not to play. It's a strange, strange scenario, but that's where we are. It's interesting that that mandating element is is a big, big one for him. Adam, in your piece, which was specifically about footballers, there's more of a sort of a conspiracy element to it and a, a lack of education information but was was anything about that forced uh, requirement did anything come up as a pushback on that yeah I mean I suppose to give context we myself and Simon Hughes wrote about this on the athletic I think it was the first week of August um, when we did it because at that time it there was a there was a a sentiment that at the start of October you were going to have to need to possibly be vaccinated in order to enter football stadiums 
um, as a supporter. I don't think that worked out in the end, but that was what what was the expectation. Um, and I suppose, therefore, the piece was looking at, well, if supporters are going to uh, be expected to be vaccinated, then there's probably going to be an expectation as well upon players and coaches or officials um, who who represent the Premier League. You know, what I'd say is that the figures in football, in certainly in the Premier League, have been slow to progress. Uh, figures that came out today, I think, now take it above 80%, um, at least for, is that for double or first vaccination? I think it's 68 for double and, yeah. and just over 80 for first, yeah. I think, th- those numbers today. So it's still, you know, significantly behind US sport. Um, the reasons for it were were kind of kind of multiple. Um, there were some there were conspiracies. Um, you know, we spoke to a number of different players, uh, medical professionals, strength and conditioning coaches, people who are in contact with players every day who are being part of these discussions. Um, you know, one of the first things that a lot of people said is that you know, a bit like all young people, there's lots of different WhatsApp groups going on, and people are influenced in different ways. And, the, and there was a sense of there's some conspiratorial thinking. There was a player um, who spoke to Simon, who, you know, who was an international footballer who was talking about, you know, over all the years sitting at the back of a bus on the way back from games, how there's been debates over whether Tupac's still alive and, you know, who was really involved in, in 9-11 and those sort of, you know, discussions that you sort of find at the sort of dark corners of the internet. And, and in some ways you can kind of separate that as that's just young guys being dumb on the back of a bus um, on the way back from a, from a sports event, right? Um, I think where, where it's quite interesting is where it goes into that intersection of health. You know, there's a really interesting story I was told about a championship club last season where a lot of the squad had started watching the Game Changers documentary on Netflix. Um, you know, and as a result, over half the squad in the space of a week decided to become vegan. And the, the medical professionals at the club were concerned, not because of, the, you know, that you can't live a, a very healthy life as a vegan and be a sportsman, but because of the very sudden change to diet, nutrition, um, and the impact that that might have on sporting performance. And it, it led to them having this sit-down presentation where, where they had to explain this to the players. And I think by the end of it, only a couple were still turning immediately vegan by, by the end of it. But it, I suppose it gives you a window into how quickly... Um, ideas can spread amongst football players um, and that's not to say the Game Changers documentary is, is misinformation in the same way as um, you know some of, the, some of the stuff that's gone on around vaccines. Taz I've just got the, the numbers in front of me here so 95% of NBA players have been vaccinated and 99% in the WNBA. The NFL has got 94% of players are all vaccinated along with more than 99% of the league and team staff and the NHL has got a 99% uptake as well. At the moment it's the baseball that's lagging behind with around 87%. Adam just talked about the, the slow uptake, it being a slow burner of the, of the players to get in the jab. Was it, was it slow in America or, or did it just all, did the players just go with it straight away? I'd say, uh, depending on the sport, they, it varied from sport to sport. Uh, you've mentioned okay. uh, the NBA at 95%. Got to say, it's been there's been an uptick. They've hit the 96% mark. Got to always uh, keep those percentages in line. Adam Silver in his press conference before the season yesterday said, uh, we're up to 96%. And uh, he actually wanted the Players Association to sign off on mandatory vaccinations. And uh, from the from the league perspective, from the front office perspective, 
he was okay with doing that, but the players wanted to have uh, their choice. Kyrie Irving, a big part of the Players Association, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much he he was involved in that decision, but the players did not want to be uh, have that sort of mandatory ac- across across the league. So yeah, it, it sort of varies from sport to sport. It, it really does. And um, you know, Adam brings up a good point about how information spreads and 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 the game changers doc being uh, being a good example of how players or are we all are, are pretty susceptible to reading something and then you know, buying it just jumping in yeah i watched the game changers doc as well i thought huh, maybe i might do this vegan thing as well uh, i definitely did not but um you know it's it's definitely in, in the u.s we have all of these threads of information happening and i think the game changers doc is one example of yeah they watch one documentary and then their their medical experts talk to them. That's really only two strains of information. What happened here uh, in the U.S. was that there were hundreds, thousands uh, of of sources of information for all of these players to glob onto, and that that's what happened. Uh, it, it just it there wasn't really one central message that happened in 2020 and then 2021. So uh, players were getting it from different areas, and I think the the WNBA stat that you just brought up. Uh, it's 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 an incredible number at 99%. They really made sure that their players association, their front office, uh, their their league was the one source of info to to try and dispel myths. They got out in front of it and had Zoom sessions to talk to their players right off the bat from the get-go and and not shame them or embarrass them or or allow them to go um public and and discuss it there and maybe you know maybe it's a tiny benefit of being a bit of a smaller league uh, in comparison uh, to other leagues but I, 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 I that that aside they just got out and talked to their players and uh, that strain of information that source of information was um, I say strain of information I got I got the variance on the mind obviously <laughs> um, but yeah the NBA is obviously pretty close behind and uh, Adam Silver as the commissioner believes that that number will go up as uh, as the months go on. And yeah, the, the WBA was such a kind of shining example of how to do it right. But how have the other leagues managed to sort of catch up or managed to still then persuade so many players to get the vaccination, given, like you said, how many sources of information they are? How are they still pushing into that 90%? Uh, the mandates have have changed things. The mandates that have come down in in America over the last month or so, in in a lot of different industries, in every workplace with a hundred or more employees, is mandated uh, to get the vaccine. I, I think that has also changed things. You see a lot of um, a lot of people d- deciding to walk away from those mandates, but most say. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to continue to work. And so I think that that's sort of had an effect. The, the mandates did make it real here in the U.S. that uh, things are being pushed. The vaccine is definitely being pushed and it's it's extremely, extremely safe. And one other thing is that it was it was approved beyond this uh, emergency approval, which was the, the first step here in the U.S. It was emergency approval for uh, for a long period of time here for about six months and then it was approved as a as a as a complete vaccination uh, as completely safe, and uh, so that was another another hurdle for the people who didn't think that the vaccine was entirely safe. Adam, will the messaging be the same from each and every Premier League club? Will the players at each twenty Premier League clubs be getting the same information? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the clubs have even gone to the extent of um, inviting in um, government medical professionals to to present on the benefits of the vaccine, the safety of the vaccine. Um, I think one of the interesting things, I was reading a post on uh, LinkedIn the other day that a sports lawyer, um, Johnny Maydill from Sheridan's uh, law firm sent me and that, that says that you know neither the UK or Irish governments have actually published guidance which focuses specifically on COVID-19 vaccines and the implications of sports participation, which therefore means that clubs and leagues in the UK are having to go by, I suppose, the existing framework of law. Um, and that goes into things like equality law, um, employment law, and and that's where individual choice becomes quite a significant factor in terms of how you treat um, employees that work for you. So the, the information is being provided, but they're having to go down a route, given that there's no nothing mandatory of, I suppose, gentle persuasion. And I think the other thing is, and I'm sure this is the case at elite levels in other sports as well, footballers are not used to being ordered what to do, right? You know, it's normally, they are normally, you know, the tail wagging the dog rather than the other way around. So they're being dictated to by agents, by players, over new contracts, over uh, where the next transfer is going to be. So the balance of power, I think, is, needs to shift a little bit because really it needs clubs to just be saying, look, guys, you need to be getting on with this and doing it. Um, so I think that that's probably a factor as well. Um, I think there's then other factors. Um, one of the factors that was particularly raised to me was, you know, this vaccine um, was approved quickly. We know that. We know that the vaccine was approved quickly. The majority of people um, in the general public have taken the view that the benefits of the vaccine outweigh um, the, the, any risk that there may be. But there, I think there are some players who have come to the view that, you know, we are finely tuned athletes. What if something happens to me that takes away in any way from what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis if I don't 100% know about this? And of course, the clubs are providing all the information and all the advice. Um, but I do think that's been consistently one of the things that we've heard um, from players. Now, absolutely not presenting that as my view. I'm saying that's what we've heard from players. What I think is really interesting as well is what you said, what you said Adam, is from my perspective, I always think footballers are actually really easily influenced because they've spent from the age of like 10 being told where to be, mm. what time, what to eat, what to wear. Uh, you know, their life is so structured and that's why for so many of them when they stop playing football, life is really difficult and chaotic because the structure that they've had, the routine that is really strict goes out the window. So you almost think that, that the the scientists or the medical professionals, whatever, within the clubs would hold a lot of influence because they're the ones who've been guiding them, you know, for years and been so in tune with their bodies. Mm. And the fact that that's not working now in this capacity, how has that trust suddenly disappeared in, in, some, in some cases? Well, well, I don't think that trust has always been there. I think that's one of the really interesting things. I mean, a, several elite players, I can, you know, I can remember, I'm not going to name them now, but they will have their own, they won't follow the club's recovery pr protocol, for example. They'll have their own strength and conditioning coach. They'll have their own di uh, dietitian or nutritionist. And I think that's particularly true of the more, the really, really, really top tier players that, you know, they have their ways of doing things that they've picked up over the years. They work with their individual coaches, not necessarily the club coaches. Um, I remember being, I was told a story recently about, um, 
a big six Premier League club where a really, a, you know, a world leading name player was working with his own recovery coach after games. And he started doing a couple of things that the club recovery coaches were looking at thinking this, this is a bit odd, but he can crack on. He's, he's doing all right by himself. But then they had other players in the dressing room started to copy it. Um, because they were like, well, I want to be like him. Um, and they had to step in and say, actually, you know, it might work for him and we can't really intervene on him because he is such a big player. Um, but our advice to you would be not to do that. It was quite interesting recently, you know, when I suppose an example of that on a far smaller scale, when Cristiano Ronaldo arrived at Manchester United and were told stories about how all of a sudden the other players have stopped eating desserts the night before the game or uh, a, a different story about they no longer have sugar in their tea and that's just I suppose a microcosm of how you know habits uh, are picked up um, you know when you're around uh, successful people in an environment so I think I think that probably goes some way to explaining it as well. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I don't understand. Maybe I'm a little bit naive. But I don't understand 100% why we are not allowed to, to give advice. So it sounds like if I say I, I am vaccinated, so and I, other people say, how can you say you are vaccinated? How can you tell me I should be vaccinated? I, I explain it for myself. A little bit like drink driving. We all probably were in a situation where we had a beer or two and thought we still could drive. But after law, we are not allowed to drive anymore, so we don't drive. But this, this law is not there for protecting me, when I drank two beer and want to drive, it's there for protecting all the other people because I'm drunk or pissed and want to drive a car. And we accept that as a law. I don't take the vaccination only to protect me. I, I take the vaccination to protect all the people around me. And I don't understand where that is a, a, a limitation of freedom. Because if it is, if it is, then not being allowed to drink and drive is a limitation of freedom as well. Taz, the US athletes are, are so open with, with their, their jab status, talking about having the, the vaccination. UK, not not so open. First to you, what, why do you think that there's such a big difference? Well, I would say it's really sort of individual based. There's some people are definitely private about it uh, and some people are less comfortable talking about it. Uh, I, I think, you know, sort of just going back to what Adam was saying, uh, it kind of ties into player empowerment where, where in, mm -hmm. in the U.S. and especially in basketball, uh, players have become more empowered over the last few years uh, to you know, basically control their own destiny, for lack of a better term. They want to set the parameters. Adam was, was talking about, you know, setting uh, their own 
you know, rehab routine and all that. Uh, that's happening a lot in the NBA as well. Uh, there was a situation in the playoffs where Donovan Mitchell, the Utah Jazz, was sort of at odds with his uh, training staff and, and and that type of thing. I, I think just to tie it into to that, where players um, are definitely just more vocal in general, uh, in, in definitely in America, definitely in basketball. Uh, uh, players, especially basketball, I think it's it's you know what well, we know in in the NBA they are so um, so upfront. Again, depends individual to individual, but so upfront about what they believe in. And Kyrie Irving is a good, a good example of that. He's 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 spoke out on many causes and been a, a a proponent of many things over the last few years. So I think really it's players finding their voice uh, over the last few years, and um, and and getting out there and talking about it and and deeming it worthy enough to. Um, to be a you know a hill that they die on to be a, to, to be something that they need to talk about to help out other individuals. It's still a bit of a prickly pear. It's still a bit of a, a touchy subject uh, here in the U.S. Uh, even to this day, even though there's you know full approval on the vaccination here in the U.S. over the last couple months, uh, it's um, it's it's just been absolutely politicized, and uh, the people who whether they're they believe in, in conspiracies or not there are a lot of people obviously who don't you know don't and trust the government and and, and don't trust science so it's it's yes it's something that isn't solved by uh um or, or isn't 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 really a comfortable topic amongst a lot of nba players i i think you know going back you you see that you know the big name players talk out, speak out about um, whether it's not social justice or, or other issues, but in this instance, there aren't a ton of them. Now they they can say they're vaccinated, um, but there isn't really anybody sort of. I guess there's there are a few people, but not really a ton of people sort of claiming that this is going to save lives in the NBA. They they mm. kind of keep it to themselves and keep it to their families and and go on uh, go on uh, living their lives. Taz, what's interesting about that is when the the British National Health Service was starting to launch the vaccination process, I actually expected that they would, you know, use high profile sportsmen to to really rev up the campaign, whether it's in promotional videos um, or posters, and and really get them on board. And, and it was striking to me that that, that didn't happen because it seemed like a very obvious way. Um, to, to persuade. I think there was what there was Moeen Ali wasn't there in one campaign yeah, about yeah. trying to encourage British Asians to get the vaccine and that was about it in terms of in terms of sporting representation it wasn't a lot was there yeah and I think Gareth Southgate the England manager at one point I can't remember if he did a statement or took part in an advert supporting the vaccine and he since said it was of all the things he said since becoming England manager um, and remember he's been you know pretty vocal on a number of societal issues he said it was the most amount of sorts of abuse and emails that he'd ever received complaining that he'd you know really been vocal in saying this you know this vaccine is a good idea um and then it was a little bit of a more uncomfortable international period for him during the last couple of games because there were stories suggesting that that, you know there were some high profile england international players who have not been vaccinated yet we're public figures and in the public eye so definitely people are probably wondering or asking uh, if they take it maybe I'm going to take it or if they're not going to take it I'm not going to take it so England and AC Milan player Fakayo Tomori while on international duty with England you know I don't think it's my place to kind of put it out there and say I've done this and not done that to kind of influence other people it's just to be you know every single person to their own if they want to do it or not
And I suppose the other issue that we may come to is that the World Cup in Qatar in 2022, it's been reported that the organisers may seek to make it mandatory to be vaccinated um, to play at that tournament, which will bring in a whole new debate as well. But, you know, it looks like the Premier League is, is eking towards a place which is which is far more comfortable um, for them. And, you know, I, I do think as the world tries to open up again and the need to have a vaccination, you know, to travel to a lot of countries, I think that will probably be ultimately the thing that takes most of them over the line and on board that it will just make their lives a hell of a lot easier from a logistics point of view to go and visit their families or go on holiday and things like that. Yeah, and that could be an issue uh, with the U.S. Even even uh, just coming up into this season, uh, players are, are going to be restricted if they are unvaccinated. And I believe that was you know part in part what the NBA wanted uh, to to try and entice them to to get the vaccine because you get tested far less frequently. You're supposed to stay home basically at all times unless you're buying groceries or or picking up your kids. And uh, that's it's it's such a gray area. How's how is that going to be enforced? Uh, and, and you're supposed to stay away from going to to public areas if you're un, an unvaccinated NBA player. So I think those rules, um, whether you're at home. Or you're on the road, you're supposed to just basically stay in your hotel room. I mean, those were put in place uh, to try and get those last. Yeah, as, mm-hmm. as, as I said, it, it's like 20 NBA players. So I think, you know, we start talking about this this big number, um, specifically with basketball, you know, being, you know, being one of the uh, a, lot, a lot of high profile players like Kyrie Irving and such. But it's just 20 NBA players, really, when it comes down to it. And so they have been uh, a model of. Uh, for for the rest of society, if you know, if we were trying to get to a, a herd immunity number here uh, in the U.S., and, and they did speak out. I mean, you you did remind me that there were some public service announcements where NBA players were involved months ago, but it was almost too late. The, the way the conversation devolved here in the U.S. on social media platforms, on YouTube and on mm-hmm. Facebook, where you know, things got taken down like after eighteen months of. Uh, by some reports, you know, like forty percent of the vaccine information on Facebook was misinformation. It was just way too late. And and, and Flo, you, you brought up a, a a question about what is driving these players to to get vaccinated. And I I think the opposite of, of the answer is true. That yeah, the, the information is probably helping them get vaccinated, but the misinformation is is helping them stay the other direction as well. And 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 those mm-hmm. floodgates opened. Uh, for a long, long period of time. That's just 18 months on the internet of misinformation. I mean, that's like a lifetime of misinformation. It's just so much info uh, that was out there. And so when the players did get into some public service announcements, it was almost too late. Fascinating discussion. Plenty more to come. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. And next, we're going to hear from Tim Spears on how Wolves have managed to successfully vaccinate their entire squad. I mean, well, for a start, Wolves Wolves don't see it as a as a big deal, really, which I guess is part of the reason behind their their success in this that they just see it as as quite normal and 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 a and a surprise really that that no other or few other Premier League clubs have managed to do this and have the success with the vaccine. But you know, the reasons behind it, you sort of have to go back to day one of of the pandemic, really. And I've you know wrote about this extensively at the time. 
during the first lockdown because there was nothing else to write about. But Wolves were Wolves were ahead of the curve, really, on the pandemic. And the chief reason for that would be their their owners, their ownership, Fosun, who were actively involved in things in China in terms of uh, equipment and later in terms of a vaccine. And basically, Wolves, you know, their chairman, Jeff Shi, and their owners back in Shanghai had first-hand expertise and first-hand knowledge of what had happened in in Shanghai and China for sort of January, February time last year. Obviously, everybody knows that that things really got serious in the UK mid-March time. You know, when things were really starting to lock down here in the UK, things were slowly starting to go the other way in China and people were returning to work. So um, Fosun and Jeff Shi, like I said, had kind of seen what had happened there, seen what had worked in terms of social distancing, in terms of masks, in terms of lockdowns, etc. And as soon as football started to slow down, because of course it didn't grind to an immediate halt, it's it slowed down at first. Wolves played a behind-closed-door game in Greece. So they ended up being one of the first, if not probably the first, to, to close down their training ground. Um, they quickly put structures in place. They set up their own task force, you know, internally within the club. They gave masks to everybody, two masks, one sort of normal mask and then one heavy duty mask. This is all pre-lockdown. This is all pre-Boris Johnson's announcement. And then owners Fosun, um, they own the UK's only ventilator manufacturer. And um, so they had a lot to do with with that. They worked to develop a vaccine overseas, Fosun did as well, um, and later worked on the production and distribution of, of that vaccine to tens of, tens of millions of uh, vaccinations across the world. And they were also you know, very active in the community, uh, sending out equipment, uh, mostly ventilators and masks, you know, those type of things to, to local health services. So you've got you've got an environment where the players feel very secure that their owners know exactly what they're doing, um, and the players were immediately given schedules and, and worked from home. And each player was um, had uh, gym equipment and fitness equipment hand delivered to to their homes. Um, food was food was sent out regularly, so they didn't have to worry. But you know, I know it's prima donna footballers, but you know they didn't just didn't have to worry about anything. Um, and Dr. Matthew Perry, who's been the club doctor for um, a couple of decades and is you know, extremely professional and nice guy, um, worked very closely with Nuno and Jeff Shee. Um, and they were in constant communication with the players via WhatsApp. So when, it, so when they came to return to training, the players felt very safe in their environment. And then later on, um, when it came to a vaccine, you know, again, the club were very proactive. So Nuno um, spoke publicly about it during a press conference. It was all sort of very deliberately timed messages. And Nuno, you know, this is pre, obviously, many months before he, he left the club, sort of held in such high regard by the fans. You know, and when Nuno's telling you, you know, to get your vaccine, then, then it would have probably would have swayed a lot of fans' opinions if they were sort of on the fence about whether to get one or not. And Wolves put out press releases in conjunction with the local council. So then when it comes to the players getting the vaccine, you add all this background, um, you add all this this um, this comfort that they've got in, in people that are making decisions for them and, and guiding them on what to do. So it sort of wasn't even an issue, was how it was described to me. It's not like the players were sat down as a group and told... Um, oh, ignore these conspiracy theories, or you know, th- this is the benefit of the vaccine, and 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 you know, th- these are the possible side effects. There, w- there weren't, there wasn't any of that. It was just guys, 
you've got to have the vaccine. This is the date you're getting it. And and that was it. There was, like I said, there was no big talk. There was no big sit-down chat. Um, I think it's just a cultural thing, really. Um, and the club, I guess, felt that if the players were left up to their own devices, they might not bother or they might actively choose not to. But when you make it so simple and the players already trust the medical staff so much, which doesn't just come down to coronavirus and the vaccine. You know, they've they've had an, an enviable injury record for years now and, and the players all tell me, you know, they feel as fit and as healthy as, as they've ever done before. And that's down to, to the, um, the high-tech sort of state-of-the-art um, knowledge and equipment that, that Wolves have used for a few years now. So you've got all that as background as well. Um, you know, you see comments about players worried about losing their place if in their team if they have a vaccine because they might have side effects for a few days or, you know, there was none of that at Wolves. Um, there were no dissenting voices in the squad. You know, it's not that type of squad. They're, 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 they're not egomaniacs. Um, they've all got ego, sure, but, but Wolves are careful to sign characters as well as footballers. So you've got that as well. Um, and they sort of made it a fun day out. Um, they all went along to a local health clinic to have their vaccine together, all the players and the staff. And, you know, it was all a bit of a, a mickey-taking sort of day out, really. And they quite enjoyed it, from what I'm told. Simple as that. Thanks ever so much to Tim for that. Again, really, really interesting. Wolves seem to be the pioneers at the moment. It'll be interesting to see if other teams follow suit. Taz, just going back to the Kyrie Irving story, I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out here. How do you see this getting resolved and how significant could the ramifications be? So interesting with the Brooklyn Nets. I do think as far as the basketball part goes... I think they're still the favorite, even if Kyrie Irving doesn't lace up the sneakers, doesn't lace up the Nikes even for a second. Even as amazing as he is, they're such a really, really talented team. And on the other side, I think Kyrie looks at that and says, I want to be a part of that. That's what he signed up for. So I think it would be really difficult from a basketball perspective to walk away from this this team that is filled uh, with stars. And, and he could be one of them to, to help them take it to a championship. And I, and I would say, looking back at his history, uh, he, last year he said he wasn't going to talk to the media about 10 days later. He retracted, came back and talked to them. He sat out um, for you know personal reasons last year and wasn't around. But he did come back to the team and um, you know violated policy for, uh, for COVID regulations last year. But I would say I don't think the money is the motivating factor here and that he misses 380K uh, per game that he misses. I, I think it's more so you tie all that in. He, he, he says some things and then retracts them as he has, uh, you know, multiple times in the past. He's, he's talking about the, the, the players starting their own league. He's talking about sitting out. Um, the NBA should have sat out the, the bubble uh, for the players. And he got on that uh, sort of soapbox to tell his players, you got to sit this out. And he retracted some of those statements. So I say that all uh, because I do believe that, Eventually, he's going to get the jab, and it's going to happen. And and I don't think New York is going to change their protocol by any means. So he can wait, uh, try and wait that out because, it, again, it's so strange that we got here in the U.S. We got a guy in Washington. He can go play in Brooklyn. He can go play wherever he wants. Uh, but uh, th- there is some thinking that Kyrie's just going to wait it out. I'm going to sit back and say, hmm, maybe the government will change their, their minds at some point. But I, I think – He's going to decide to come join his teammates. And um, it's a strange scenario in that I mentioned all that stuff about the money, about the team and all that. 
he did say he's trying to help out those people who have been, you know, quote unquote, mandated out of a job. And, and he wants to to back those people. But he's not anti-vaccine. He's clear that he's not anti-vaccine. There was a period here in the U.S. where the vaccines were available and the mandates didn't happen. So there was like a five-month period where he could have gotten the vaccine, chose not to, and then the mandates happened. So some of the logic doesn't necessarily work out, really. And, and so I think Kyrie, at, at some point or another, because he has left the door open to come back and play, is going to come back to join his teammates to uh, to win a championship that he and, and Kevin Durant formulated a, a couple years ago. He, he made this happen in, in Brooklyn. So I think he wants to come uh, finish the job here this season where they are the overwhelming favorites, in my opinion. Again, in my opinion, would be the favorites of this league, even if Kyrie didn't join them, which is uh, something wild to say because that guy is a, a special showman. And in, in the UK, Adam, I guess things are, are so complicated because there's so many various stakeholders involved in this. Obviously, in men's football, you've got Premier League, EFL, FA, PFA, then the union. And, and I know in the case of WSL players, I think age is a massive factor. A lot of them feel like they're so young, they shouldn't need a vaccine or the fact that they're professional athletes means that their bodies are unlike you know, us mere mortals. Mm -hmm. But when do you think we may reach the point where things are going to get too difficult, games start getting called off, postponed at such a rate when we're entering the winter months as mm. well, which we've sort of been warned about, that it might courtrooms might start being involved? I think it'd be an interesting thing. Um, do, is, is your sense that that's quite widespread in the WSL? It seems like from what, I mean, I haven't got an exact number, but from what I've heard, I don't think the vaccine take-up's been brilliant. Mm. Um, and, you know, most people are saying it's it's not for, uh, you know, conspiracy theories or a lack of information in some capacities. It's, it's perhaps a, a lack of information education on the fact that regardless of age um, and regardless of, of you know, the, the, the perfection of your body, let's say, you know, getting the vaccine is still important. I think that seems to be a, a consistent factor among those who aren't vaccinated. Because also we know from players that have had it, uh, for example, Kai Havertz is someone that I always think of. I mean, he was quite badly affected by it, couldn't come back for a number of weeks after having the virus, was extremely fatigued. You know, the signs of what a lot of people have been living with with long COVID for a very long time. And it's interesting how that experience from him hasn't necessarily carried enough weight among teammates and among other people in the league across football to say, well, even someone young, someone extremely fit like him can still be badly affected by it. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking at each week the Premier League send out data on the number of positive tests. And I mean, there were six positive tests over the between the 11th of October, 17th of October, that's out of 3,044 players and club staff. So, you know, I think at the moment, I don't think there's any major cause for alarm in terms of, you know, matches are going to be called off and things and things like that. What we do know in the UK is that the number of cases are going up again um, and have gone over, you know, particularly compared to, to other countries around us. I think they're now up to around 40,000, which is not, not good whatsoever. Um, I would be surprised if, you know, given the vaccination rate within the Premier League whether we get to that stage obviously if you, you can still get COVID right if you've been vaccinated so you are going to have players missing games um, this season in terms of like what happens next well 
you know, the Professional Footballers Association, which is essentially the trade union for footballers, has kind of just taken a gentle persuasion route um, because of the lack of, you know, of, uh, of a mandate. So, you know, they're, they're trying to balance, you know, the need to protect the safety of players um, and their families and the rest of society with the working rights of individuals and their choice. And that, that tension isn't really going anywhere. Um, so, I th- you know, as we said before, I mean, the percentage is getting better, probably not fast enough. I think uh, it's quite a difficult one because clearly because those numbers are going up, you can say, you know, it's kind of starting to work as a method. I do think we've probably, you know, I think clubs and the Premier League uh, could have been stronger in terms of, you know, I think at times we've treated people who don't want to get the vaccine as though it's like an ethnic minority or a, se- or a sexuality in terms of, you know, like a protected characteristic in terms of how carefully English footballers danced around the topic when, you know, I think a lot of people within society are looking at this and thinking, look, I mean, we've all, we've all gone and done this. You're in a very privileged position. Will you please go and take this vaccine to try and make sure as many people are as safe as possible? Um, but it's getting better. Um, I think, you know, there will be, it would be quite polemic if the world, if FIFA, the World Cup organisers, decide that the World Cup next year requires a vaccine. I think that will bring that, I think that's the one thing that would really reignite this as a, as a major issue. And I think that, I, th- I do think that's probably likely to be an issue because, you know, when you look at the disparity between different parts of the world in terms of the rates of vaccination, the supplies of vaccination, you can very easily see how a World Cup based in based in the Middle East would would want to have, you know, those protections in place of those who are visiting. I don't think that's an unreasonable thing. So what's not quite clear is, you know, is that being used as a, you know, a bit of pressure, as a bit of a dangled threat so that people do it more quickly? Or is it something that's going to come into force and create a real... Um, a real saga when it does come about. It's an ever-developing story, and I'm sure it will be something that we'll be discussing again in the near future. But until then, Taz, Adam, thanks ever so much for chatting to us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Dan. Flo. We're still celebrating Black History Month here at The Athletic, so let's highlight another brilliant read from the dedicated collection of articles that are available on the site right now. Dominic Fifield and Simon Johnson have been looking at John Obi McCall's controversial transfer to Chelsea. They've done an interview with the former Chelsea defensive midfielder. It also looks into the wave of African talent and how his success in England helped launch the careers of three other Nigerians. So if you haven't checked that out yet, go over to theathletic.com and you'll be able to do just that. And you'll also be able to read all the other articles celebrating Black History Month. And remember as well, you can read Adam's brilliant article on Saudi Arabia's LGBT plus community and much more by subscribing today for just £3.33 a month. Just head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Nice one, Flo. So our thanks goes to Taz, Adam and Tim for their contributions to today's podcast. And thanks as ever to Flo as well for joining me. And of course, thanks to all you guys at home or on your commute listening as well. Please, please get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And wherever you do get your podcasts, if you're enjoying the show, then please leave a review too. And could a few of you please lay off my accent? This was the Athletics Football Podcast. Mark Chapman and Matt Slater will be back with another episode tomorrow, so hopefully you'll join us again. The Athletic.